gone from the face of the earth. I wait for a group of students to cross the street, and suddenly I think, he is not there. I go to a ball game and find myself singling out the ones his age. None of them is he. In all the crowds and streets and rooms and churches and schools and libraries and gatherings of friends in our world, on all the mountains, I will not find him, only his absence. Silence. Was there a letter from Eric today? When did Eric say he would call? Now, only silence. Still five children, but one always gone. When we're all together, we're not all together. It's the neverness that is so painful. Never again to be here with us. Never to sit with us at the table. Never to travel with us. Never to laugh with us. Never to cry with us. Never to embrace as he leaves for school. Never to see his brothers and sister Mary. All the rest of our lives, we must live without him. Words of his father for a son who had died. Today we're going to see another man. A man whose son is sick and very close to death. A man who desperately wants to do whatever he can to avoid being this man. And having a son that he's trying to remember. We're going to see his encounter with Jesus. We're going to learn from him as we prepare ourselves for Easter about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus in the midst of problems that we're facing in our lives. You know, Israel at the time of Jesus really was divided into a number of areas. And Judea would have been in the south, and Judea is where Jerusalem was. And then there was this area in the middle, Samaria. Up north was Galilee. Galilee, of course, is where Jesus was from. Um, Jesus is a Galilean, and that's where he would have grown up and what he would have considered his hometown area. And the Jews uh, down in Judea and Galilee, they would not have liked the Samaritans. And they didn't like the Samaritans because in their history, they would have had a common enemy at one point, the Assyrians. And the problem that happened with the Assyrians, as as the Assyrians were holding Israel captive, there were a number of Samaritans who married into the Assyrians. They would have intermarried. And so the Jews would have considered the Samaritans um, like dogs, half-breeds. In fact, they disliked them so much that if they had to travel from one region of the country to another, if you were going from Judea up to Galilee, you wouldn't go the straight line through Samaria if you were a good Jew. You didn't even want to travel through that area. You would pay the extra expense, you'd spend the extra time to cross the Jordan River, go up through the east, and then back over the Jordan River and into Galilee because they disliked them that much. So we have Jesus up in the Cana area, and that's where Pastor Scott started our series last week. Remember, um, Jesus turned the, the water in, into wine, and so that, that started the seven signs that we're looking at. The seven miracles are taking place in the Gospel of John. And Pastor Scott took us to the end of the book because John tells us there that 
Jesus did many other signs. He didn't just do these seven signs that we're studying. He did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, but they're not all written in this book. Why are the ones written in the book that, that, that are? Why are they in the Gospel of John? They're written in this book so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And also so that by believing, you can have life in his name. That there's two reasons that um, John has placed these signs into this book. The first is that you can understand who Jesus is more and more. It's like Jesus came to this world and there was a veil covering him. People saw him and he looked just like a normal person, but there's something more about Jesus. And throughout these signs, Jesus is being unveiled. We're able to see a little more of who he is. And because we see more of who he is, we're now able to have life in his name. And Pastor Scott laid out in that passage last week um, that that life includes living now. It's not just about eternal life in the future. It includes now and how we live our lives today. So Jesus was up in Cana, and he did that miracle of turning the water into wine that Pastor Scott preached about last week. Then he went up to Capernaum and spent a little time with his family up there. And then Jesus heads on down to Jerusalem because it's the Passover time. And if you've been doing the, the Bible reading that the church is doing together on the Gospel of John, and our family's doing it together in the evening and having a great time going through John's Gospel, if you do not have those reading cards yet, we have them on tables on the way out that you can get today. And you would have read in John chapter 3 this last week um, the events that took place down in Jerusalem while Jesus was down there at the Passover. And when he's done with that, and you'll be reading about this tomorrow in the plan, Jesus travels up to Samaria. And this must have just absolutely shocked his disciples that they're going to travel through Samaria. And Jesus has an interaction with a woman at the well there. And as a response of that interaction, the entire town comes out and, and many of them believe just because of Jesus' interaction action with a woman at the well there in Samaria. And then Jesus keeps on heading up, and now he's back in Cana. And that's where we are as we start our text today. We're back in Cana for the second sign at the same location where the first sign took place. And the big idea today that we're looking at is this. Knowing God more, having a deepening relationship with God, requires shifting our focus from our circumstances to the character of Jesus. Knowing God more requires shifting your focus from your circumstances to the character of Jesus. There's a path that I think Jesus is going to take us on as we consider this some. The path as we head towards Jesus in this text. The first area is this. I need to have an attitude of humility. If we're going to pursue God this Easter season, we need to have an attitude of humility. We start in our text here in John chapter 4, verse 43. And it says, after two days, Jesus departed for Galilee. So he's down in Samaria where he met the woman at the well. Now he's headed north and he's up in Galilee. And Jesus testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So he's heading to his hometown area where he knows he has no honor, that he's not going to receive honor being a prophet from that hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. So it's kind of this odd mixture here because the text says he's not going to receive any honor, yet they welcomed him. 
having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had too gone to the feast. See, all of Israel, many people would have gone down to Jerusalem. They saw Jesus. They saw the miracles he was doing. And, and, and so they saw him. They welcomed him in town, but they welcomed him in a way that still does not give him honor. We need to have an attitude of humility. What we're going to see coming up in this text is that Jesus is going to really be um, bringing out a contrast. And the contrast is the faith of the Samaritans and the faith of the Galileans. And the contrast that's coming out in this text is this. The Galileans have a faith that could be improved upon if they learned from the Samaritans. This would have been a shocking thought to them that the Samaritans could be their model in anything, much less religious areas. That they needed to follow the model of the Samaritans. You know, I was trying to think what would be an example for us today of that. And it would be like some people of ISIS um, coming to know Christ. And then Jesus shows up here and he says, Hey, American church, if you really want to know what it's like to follow me, you need to become like the people from ISIS who've accepted Christ. They're like, what? (laughs) That's our example? That's our model? You know, all of us are somewhere on a line of um, how well we know God, what we know about him, uh, um, and our experience and our relationship with God. And all of us still have this veil um, covering Jesus where we don't know him perfectly. And our knowledge of him may be hampered by a number of things. It can be where you grew up and, and, and different experiences you've had. It can be the churches you've been part of, the friendship groups you've had, um, parts of the country or parts of the world you've lived in, the political group you're part of. There could be all sorts of things that, that either help us to understand God more or maybe hamper our thoughts of him. And, and we might not even know that. If you were to think through, hey, yeah, no, I've got a 30% accurate knowledge of God or a 40% or 50% we really have no idea what kind of number to put on it because you don't know what you don't know. And yet, if you think of um, where you're at, you're probably even a little lower than you think you are. If you think you have a 40% accurate knowledge of God, maybe it's 35%. But here's the humility that it takes and the humility that maybe we want to think of this um, Easter season. Wouldn't it be great if what we were to pray would be a prayer that says, God, I know there's areas where I don't know you accurately. I know there's texts that I don't understand correctly. Will you start to clarify those for me? Areas where I've got it wrong, will you make it clear to me? Will you change my thinking? Will you change my heart? That's the attitude of humility that's beginning with this text as Jesus comes from the Samaritans who received him so willingly and is now with the Galileans. Here's where the problem area is. My danger comes when I try to define my best life. We saw that in John's gospel, what he's trying to offer us is true life in him. He's tried, Jesus is giving us this offer that it's not just eternal life, it's life today. And sometimes there are things that block the path as we're walking towards Jesus. 
And the picture I had this week as I was thinking about this is we're on this path to Jesus and there's this huge boulder, this huge rock on the path before us and we're struggling to get past. All we can see is this problem we have before us. Think of whatever problem you're facing right now. And if you're not in a problem right now, um, and don't, don't be jealous of those who do have a problem. You'll have one coming soon. Don't worry about it. Um, but you're standing there and you've got some problem you're facing. Maybe it's in relationships. Maybe it's a family member you're struggling with. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's illness, like we're going to see in this text. But there's some boulder there in the path and it's hard to think about anything else. It's hard to focus on anything else. And if I could only solve this problem, then my life would be good again. If I could only get past this issue, everything would be fine. You know, I've been facing a situation recently and it has nothing to do with what the, the level of what the guy in this text is facing. Um, but as you may know, I'm an attorney in town. Um, my wife and I run our own office. Um, we have two other employees and we've been going through a transition with employees recently. And when there's a transition with employees, what it means is there's more on my plate, more on my wife's plate as we go through that period of time. Things that others would normally be doing fall on us. And even while we're training and getting people on board and learning things, more and more falls on us. And I was looking at this text and thinking of how even a situation like that, to me, feels like just a big boulder in the middle of the path. And that if only I could get past this, if only we could solve this, then I'll have life the way I want it. Well, we enter into our text and we see what this man's facing. Jesus comes to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. So Capernaum's 20 miles away. And Capernaum, um, if there's a royal official in Capernaum, he would have worked for Herod because that's where Herod would have lived. This is the same Herod who, who um, thought he should marry his sister's or his, or his brother's wife. And so he marries her. John the Baptist doesn't think much of this arrangement, so he keeps pointing it out. Um, finally, Herod has him arrested and beheaded. This is the same Herod who later Jesus is going to have a trial in front of before he's crucified. So this Herod in Capernaum has an official. And if you're an official of um, Herod, you're going to have a pretty good life. You're going to be living in the Capernaum area, which is right on the Sea of Galilee. This is a modern picture, um, but it gets an idea that he probably would have had a villa overlooking the Sea of Galilee. He would have had a fair amount of money. He would have had resources available to him. He would have had a pretty good life. And we're told that this official has a son who's ill. And for some period of time, this illness has been going on and it's been getting worse and worse. And from the text, we know that this illness is the type where death is a certainty at this point, and death is coming very soon. And so throughout this period of time, it's not mentioned in the text, but just from human nature, just from being a dad myself, I know that this man who has some resources would have brought in every doctor he could to look at his son. And none of the things they said to do worked. There would have been sleepless nights as he and his wife watched their son and worried about him and hoped upon hope that that next morning he would have made a turn and was doing better. 
When the things the doctors didn't say worked, they would have gone out and listened to people who had these home remedies. And if you only do this, this might help. And so they would have tried everything that they could. And at some point, someone may have mentioned to him, you know what, Um, we were down in Jerusalem at the Passover um, with a lot of other people, and Jesus was down there, and he was doing a lot of signs. He seems pretty powerful, and we hear he's up this way now. He's back at Cana. Remember, he was at Cana before he turned the water into wine. Maybe you should go see him. Would have been advice that I might have given this man. Jesus, he's doing a lot of miracles. He's pretty powerful. He seems like a compassionate guy. Why don't you go see this Jesus? So this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee. He's now in Cana, and he goes for him. It's about 20 miles away. He was a man of means, so he certainly would have had a horse, and he probably rode that horse hard going uphill those 20 miles to to get up to Cana. And when he got to him, he asked him to come down and heal his son because his son was at the point of death. This is his last hope. And when it says that he asked Jesus to heal his son, this is written in the Greek in a way that it's a repetitive action. It's not a one-type thing. He sees Jesus and he's begging him. He's asking again and again, Jesus, come heal my son. Please come heal my son. Please come heal my son. And then Jesus responds and says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. When Scott gave me this text about a month ago and I read this, I absolutely hated this section. It took me a few weeks to work my way through this. Because you know what? I can see myself as this man. I have three children. Uh, My daughter Jenna, who turned 21 yesterday, and my son Joshua, who's a senior in high school, and my son Caleb, who's a freshman in high school. And I absolutely adore my kids. I would do anything for them. If they were sick, where do we go? Ponderosa Pediatrics? Do we need to go to Phoenix Children's Hospital? If we need to go on a plane and go to a different hospital? Wherever we need to go, I'll go. You could just insert my name throughout this. You could just call this man Chris throughout this biblical text. Because I I, I understand this man. I understand what it could be like to be in that position. And he comes to Jesus and he says what I would have said. Can you come please heal my son? And Jesus comes back with, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe? You know, to understand this text a little more, the you there, unless you see, you can be difficult in the English language. um, Because you can be, you need to do something, an individual, or it could be, you need to do something, a group. There's no difference between you, the singular, and you, the plural. Greek has a difference. You can see the word and you can tell this is singular or this is plural. I was talking to someone who um, spoke a, a different language and she was explaining to me the difference in their language. This lady, she was from Texas. And um, she was proud to be from Texas. And I know if you're from Texas, you are proud to be from Texas. Uh, I didn't need to say that part. And I was talking to her once and she was just talking to me and she said something and she said, y'all need to do this. And I kind of looked around when she said, and I'm the only one here. Who's this y'all? And she said, oh, no, no, no. You got to understand, in Texas, you all is singular. Okay. What's plural? She said, well, plural in Texas is all (laughs) y'all. Okay, I can work with that. So here's, if you want the, the Texas translation of this verse, Jesus said to him, unless all y'all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Unless all y'all see signs and wonders. 
And the idea that he's getting at here is here's the difference in the Galilean faith. Here's what's causing them a problem is they have this huge rock in their way, this huge boulder, this problem that they're facing in life. And the idea is, Jesus, here's what I want done with this boulder. Here's the solution to it. And if you fix this, maybe something else will happen in a relationship with you. But here's what I need you to do. Either Jesus needs to, to just do miracles because the circus has come to town and they've heard the signs and wonders. It'd be kind of fun to see. Or Jesus, I need you to fix my problems. And that's what I need you to do. All y'all need to see signs and wonders or you will not believe. And that's even written in a, a double negative, which in Greek is emphatic. You will absolutely not believe unless you get the signs and wonders. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. I love his response. I don't know if he understands everything Jesus just said. <laughs> he says, Sir, please just come down before my child dies. You know, some of you may be here today and you're asking the question on your own journey of does God even exist? And if you're asking that question today, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're asking that question in your life. I think it's the most important question you could ever ask. And what I want to encourage you to do is I want you to think as you're thinking through that question of not Jesus, here's... I want to know if you exist, and if you do exist, here's the things that I want from a God. But just you exist, and if you exist, whoever you are is who you are. It's easy for us to paint a picture to God and create God in our own image. And here's what I want in a God. I want a God with these certain beliefs, um, a God who acts in these certain ways. If God exists, God exists. I very much think he does. Whoever he is, is who he is. And we don't have the luxury of dictating those terms to him. And here on this path, was someone with a huge boulder in their path. That's all they could see. Jesus, can you fix this? Because without that, we're not going to believe. The third idea on the path to Jesus is I determined to have my circumstances pave the path to Jesus. I determined to have my circumstances pave the path to Jesus. And you know, the picture here is that we take that boulder and it's like that boulder becomes the rock of the path. So instead of being a big boulder between us, it becomes part of the path. And you have this rocky path that takes us to Jesus no matter what. The contrast between the Samaritans and the Galileans is this. The Galileans were saying, Jesus, I need you to do this. And if you do this, then I might believe. Do you know when Jesus was in Samaria and he talked to the woman and the woman went in town and got the whole town to come out and many of them believed? Do you know how many signs and wonders Jesus did when he was in Samaria? You'll be reading about it this week. None. He didn't do any signs and wonders. 
That's the faith that Jesus is looking for. See, the prayer that this man would pray if he was thinking like a Samaritan would be, God, this is so difficult for me right now. My son's about to die and this is painful and I can't think of anything else and will you please heal my son? And if you choose not to heal my son, I want you to know, God, that I'm still going to worship you and I'm still going to bow at your feet because you're worthy to be worshipped no matter what you do in my present circumstances. Many of you know I used to be a pastor. I was a pastor for 22 years. And there was a church that, that I went to be pastor of, and the search committee had been very honest with us that this is a church that had... Um, um, that was unhealthy in some aspects of that of the, the church. And that not only did it have that, but it was sometimes a little hesitant for change and hesitant to, to grow in those areas. And it's one of the reasons I absolutely love that Pastor Scott focuses on one of our values being being a healthy church and having healthy relationships here. And I remember times when I was in the midst of that praying that God would do uh, more than I could ever ask or imagine within that church, which is a biblical prayer. That prayer even comes from a section that's praying about that within the context of the church. And I had an exact image of exactly what that would look like. And I was realizing over time that I was praying a prayer that had high expectations of what God would do. A prayer that might have even come from some own feelings of entitlement. That, that I had been a Christian for this long and I had served God for this many years. And I would never have said it this way, but isn't it the least you could do in this situation here? I've got this boulder in the path and I know you could deal with it. You know, when I was thinking of the response of how the Samaritans responded to this boulder in their path, I thought of Job. Remember Job, whose kids die, who loses everything, who has health impacted by what he's going through, and then he has a bunch of friends that come and point out how he's the problem. And I was trying to put myself in that text, so if you want to put me in that text, here's what it would look like. It would mean that in my life, Jenna, Joshua, and Caleb are dead. My house is burned down. Somehow we didn't have homeowner's insurance that we thought we had. Someone has stolen the money out of our bank accounts and our financial accounts, and there's no way we're getting it back. We thought employers were putting into Social Security for us. They weren't, so there's no Social Security in the future. I start to have different health things going on so that I'm in pain and I'm withering from the inside out. And I'm sitting somewhere near the ruins of my house. I'm not even on a folding chair because that got burned on the fire. And then friends start to come along, maybe my community group, maybe pastors and elders that I'm friends with here at the church. And they start pointing out that, man, what did you do to cause this to happen? And my reputation's shot. The law firm's gone. There's nothing left. And do you know what Job does after all that happens? Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground, 
and he worshiped. He worshiped God. God could not have answered that situation any differently than Job would have wanted him to have done it. And Job says, I'm going to use this opportunity to know God more and more, to worship at his feet, for he is worthy to be worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Job bows down and worships as he knows God more and more as a result. I was thinking of how this changed my prayer life. So many times we come before God and we seek God's hand. And God wants us to seek his hand. God's hand is God's action on our behalf. God's powerful arm acting on our behalf. And God wants to hear our requests. He wants to hear our burdens. He wants to hear about the rocks in our path. But sometimes it's good not to just seek God's hand, but to seek his face. To spend time in God's presence praising him and worshiping him just for who he is, for his past acts throughout history. You see, when I do that, what I make clear is that, God, this isn't just an expectation that you must handle this situation in the way I want. But instead, I'm acknowledging to you that no matter what happens in life, no matter what happens in this circumstance, that you are worthy to be worshipped and praised, and I'm going to bow at your feet no matter what. You are worthy. The psalmist writes in Psalm 27, You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. He seeks the face of God. My potential is a deeper relationship with God, and we see this man develop a deeper relationship with God. My potential is a deeper relationship with God. Look at the text as it carries its way out. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And that part shocked me again. He just talks to him about, You only want signs and wonders, and then he heals the the, the son. Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. He went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him, Your son's recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus had done when he came from Judea to Galilee. And part of the question that that arises as you see this man's son healed is this. What if God didn't heal the boy? What if God had chosen not to? Would God still be worthy of being worshipped? That's the question that's the difference between the Samaritans and the Galileans. Is God still worthy to be worshipped regardless of how your circumstance goes? Regardless of what happens when you face that boulder 
in the road. Some things are unveiled as he's able to see um, Jesus more and more here. He's able to see the power of Jesus. You realize that Jesus healed someone who was 20 miles away just by speaking a word. The absolute power of Jesus who is God. And the grace of Jesus. This man didn't deserve to have his son healed. It was an act of grace. It was a gift from God. I was thinking of some next steps for this coming week as we think through this text and as you're thinking through this and hopefully interacting some with your community group uh, about it. Um, one of the things I encourage you to do is to begin praying prayers of humility. Prayers that say, God, I realize that I don't know you perfectly. That there's misconceptions I have. I don't know what they are, but I know I've got some things wrong. And I pray, God, that you'd be revealing yourself to me. That you would show me where I'm wrong. That you would guide me into a deeper relationship with you. Would that be an amazing prayer if an entire church prayed that from now until Easter? This prayer of humility. God, just show me who you are. No matter how many years I've been following you. Let me see what I've got wrong. Second, I encourage you to spend extended time seeking God's face. Maybe on your own, maybe with your family, maybe with some friends, maybe your community group. Times where you just spend some time not asking God for anything, but just focusing on him. Can you imagine a marriage? Can you imagine Lisa and I in our marriage if the only time we ever talked was transactional to, to um, you know, can you get the kids tomorrow? I can't get them. Um, who's going to the store? We need these things from the store. If that was the only conversation in a marriage, to spend some extended time just seeking God's face. Just think of anything that you're grateful for God for and praise him, worship him for that. Thank you, God, that you're the creator. Thank you that I saw your creation in the sunrise this morning. Thank you for the, your creation when I drive by and see Thumb View. What an amazing sight. Thank you for the creation as you hold your grandchild. Thank you that you're the redeemer. Thank you that you're the one who died for our sins. And third, in your challenges, constantly change your focus to pursue God. That my ultimate goal isn't just to solve my problem. My ultimate goal is no matter how this is dealt with, this huge rock in the path, no matter how it's dealt with, that I'm going to draw closer to Jesus than ever before. That I'm absolutely committed that I'm going to bow before his feet no matter what happens in that moment. Let's seek God's face together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you're the creator. Thank you that you created each of us in your image. Thank you for creating the family that I'm in, for my wife and my children, that you gave us that gift of family. Thank you for creating this church. for the church family that we could be a part of. We're grateful for that. Thank you for the gift of worship and a gift of music and for people who are talented and gifted and lead us in those areas. We're grateful, God, 
for that. Thank you for community groups that we can meet in and be a part of and can walk through these kind of texts and can help us think through the areas we need to grow, the areas where we need to apply your word. You've blessed us with so much, God. And we absolutely commit to you that you are worthy to be worshipped, you're worthy to be praised, you're worthy to be sought after, no matter what happens in our lives. You said, seek my face. Lord God, we seek your face. In your holy name we pray. Amen.